As our psalm this morning said, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. May that be true today. Amen. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, which was read today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is page 991 in the Red Bibles, if you'd like to follow along with that. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I know you don't really pray much. That was what a speaker said to us as a group of pastors. I know you don't really pray much. And to be honest, I, I could see hearts sank. People started looking down, just frankly knowing that it was too often true. If we're honest, we as Christians, this is true for us far too often. We just don't pray much. My guess is that most of us pray less than we think. Because I've heard people say things like, I pray all the time. But in reality, they pray at meals. And once in a while when they happen to think about it or maybe every other night for a moment before they go to bed. Or we spent meaningful time in prayer last week or last month, or six months ago, and that's what we think about. And we just don't realize that we haven't actually prayed since. And prayer is talking to God, listening to His voice, being consciously in His presence, turning our heart and our attention to Him. And throughout the Bible, that we are shown that God longs for His people to pray, to turn to Him in worship, and in prayer, to be in communion with Him, to know Him personally as He chooses to reveal Himself to us, His beloved children. And so in this letter to Timothy, which uh, Paul has a lot to say about how the church is ordered and run and what worship looks like, an appropriate order of things in the church, Paul begins his main section of the letter with prayer. And so this morning, we're going to look at three elements that we see about prayer in this short passage. We'll see the call to prayer, the grounding of prayer, and the mission of prayer. The call, the grounding, and the mission. So first, the call to prayer. Look at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And so as Paul begins this portion of the letter addressing worship of the church, the first and preeminent act, first of all, is prayer. Jesus says elsewhere that his house will be a house of prayer. Prayer should characterize us as Christians. And it says supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. Don't worry about any potentially small differences or nuances between those words. If you'll remember, the New Testament was written originally in Greek. And if you were to look up those words in Greek dictionaries, you would find that they typically translate the first word as prayer 
and then they usually translate the second word as prayer, and they usually translate the third word as prayer, and usually the fourth word ends up being translated as prayer as well. So it's not about some nuances between them, but rather the whole point is, is you pray for all about everything. He's just listing words for prayer, saying that's what should characterize us as the church. First of all, pray. God's call to his people is to prayer. And it's prayer for all sorts of needs that people have. And then one specific form of prayer that it does mention is praying for kings and all who are in high positions. And so we as the church are called to pray for all. And then as a part of that, part of that all is he focuses in and calls us to pray for our governmental authorities. Now, we'll just say this has absolutely nothing to do with your opinion of the current president or the last president or the next president. We as Christians are called to pray. And specifically, he points out that we are called to pray for those who govern. And this call to pray specifically for those who govern, but this call to pray for all things, all needs, as it says, pray for all, is... Uh, it actually, if we do that well, it actually helps pull us out of ourselves. I mean, pray for yourselves too, that's fine. Pray for your family as well. But pray consistently for those who are not close to you and in your family as well. And this kind of prayer, praying for those far away from us, praying for those in authority, praying for those uh, that we don't even know outside of ourselves, is the kind of prayer that actually enlarges the heart of the person who prays. It really does pull us out of ourselves. Now, I will say, I don't pray in this way all the time, but I tend to go in seasons doing what I'm about to explain. And so one way that I have found to be very helpful, and especially in pulling me out of myself, is what I'll do is I'll take a, a psalm, uh, one of the psalms in the Bible, and I'll, I'll read through the psalm, and as I go, I'll stop when a verse sort of Something sparks something in my mind, something in one of the verses. And I'll use those words, use that verse as a springboard for prayer. Something jumps out at me, and the, the, the joy of that is it helps me realize what's important to pray for as opposed to just thinking about my kids for the gazillionth time, for myself, for my family, for, right? And so the, the Psalms will help me realize what I need to be praying for. And so sometimes that's certainly about me. I'll read something like, the Lord is my shepherd, and I'll immediately start thinking, you know, Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd, and that you care for me, and that I can declare that the God of the universe cares for me and guides me. Certainly, sometimes it'll be about me, but often it's not about me at all, and it really draws me out of myself and opens my eyes and my heart to other things. And so I'll read a verse like, the nation's rage. And I'll pray something along the lines of, Lord, as the nations fight against each other, would you bring peace? As nations persecute your church, bring the good news in the midst of persecution. And when we learn to pray the Psalms like that, it really does enlarge our hearts and helps keep us from what can sometimes happen is the same inward-focused prayers all the time. So how can we make sure that we're praying for, as it says, all people everywhere? Uh, well, one way would be to do what I just described, pray the Psalms. 
Another way would be take one of those brand new prayer books that something like 50% of you have already purchased and open it up to morning or evening prayer and pray through those prayers that are provided for us. Because those will cause you to pray for other things than we often do. I invite you to actually physically make a list, whether you are a pen and paper person or a digital person, but to, to make a list and actually sort of force yourself to pray for these people and these things uh, either daily or weekly. Take time to pray specifically for those who are in authority, not just the ones you may like. The fact is that God's call is to prayer. And so first, the call to pray. Second, the grounding of prayer. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So the grounding of this prayer, the basis of this prayer, is, as we're told, is God's desire to save. And also what God has done to accomplish that salvation through Jesus. We pray because God desires us and the world to know His salvation. We pray because Jesus Christ died for us as our ransom and is our mediator with God. We pray because we long for others to know Him as we do. It is God's will that all may be saved. Now this is not universalism, that God, the idea that God will make sure that every individual will be saved. Uh, the Bible actually makes clear that that is not the case. But the context of this letter is that there are some very exclusivist teachings going on that only we the Israelites, or there was a sect that wasn't really Christian, but we the Gnostics, only, only our group will be saved. And so in the context of this letter, the emphasis on God's desire that all will be saved is the elimination of any claims that God only cares about us. Us Jews, us Americans, us whatever. This is not a Jewish thing. This is salvation for all without distinction. Not every individual will turn to faith in Christ, but the all is all kinds of people without distinction, which is, in this letter, is clearly the context. But it is God's desire to save. So much so that He sent His Son the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, to live and die and rise again for our ransom. And that desire to save is then given to us as the basis, as the grounding for our prayer. We pray because God has shown us His will that all may be saved. And so we pray for His will to be done. I've said this before, and I'm sure over the years you will hear me say this again, that it is not that God is somehow handcuffed waiting for us to pray so that He's able to act, but God in His mercy often chooses to wait to act until we pray. And so just this past week I saw this principle in action again. 
So I've asked a few people in this congregation to serve as special intercessors during the process of searching for and calling our next associate. And so there was a specific, a specific situation that I was just sort of unsure about. And after about 24 hours, after asking our intercessors to start praying, we received crystal clear answer to our question. Now, was God trapped until we prayed? Of course not. But in his wisdom and mercy, he waited to act to give us the clarity on this big question that we were asking, he waited until we prayed. And I cannot thank our intercessors enough for their prayers. It is God's desire that people from all the world, without distinction, would be saved. And we ground this call to prayer in his desire for salvation and his work to bring it about. That's Jesus on the cross. And so, let us pray faithfully, knowing that God so often waits to fulfill His will until His people pray. So pray earnestly and often, grounding the call to prayer in God's character who wants to save and sent His Son Jesus to make that possible. We have the grounding, the basis for prayer. And third, the mission of prayer. Verse 7. Paul says, in, in light of all that has just been read, Paul says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So, Paul connects his mission to share the gospel with the world, not just the exclusive Jews, but with the world, his mission of sharing the gospel with the world, he connects that with the call and the grounding of prayer in verses 1 through 6. The mission of prayer is to pray that all who do not know Jesus will come to know him, as Paul's mission was. The mission of prayer is that God would open blind eyes and soften hard hearts and raise the dead, those that are dead in sin, that we would, that they would come to salvation in Jesus just as we have. The call to pray for, and specifically uh, to pray for all, and then specifically for those in authority, is then connected with the mission of the church to share the gospel with the world. Pray that God will break in and change hearts and save souls. That He will, as we saw in Holy Cross Sunday last week in our reading then, that he will, as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, will draw all people to himself. So the mission of prayer is that God will do that, and that God will move in power, and that many will come to know him and be saved. Because without Jesus, without his work for them, which they and we must receive in faith, we will not be saved. So we pray that God will work and save those who are far from Him. The mission of prayer is that God will work in human hearts and save us from sin and death. That hearts will be open to receive His grace and turn from our sin and to trust in Him. And this is only possible if God draws us. So we pray that God will do His work, drawing the lost to Himself in love. 
And the mission of prayer is that the darkness will be scattered and that many will come to the light of Jesus. And the church, we, are on mission. And we cannot succeed in what we're called to do without prayer. Without God answering our prayer and doing His work in the world. The mission of prayer is for the proclamation of the gospel that many will come to Jesus and be saved. See, the mission of prayer is the mission of the church. So pray that many will come to know Jesus and will be transformed by His love. The mission of prayer. And so friends, just take a guess what I think we're supposed to do as a result of this passage. Pray. First of all then, pray. So this week, uh, somebody came by the office uh, to borrow a kneeler. Um, sort of what people sometimes call a prayer desk. It's got a kneeler at the bottom and then something that comes up and you can put your elbows on it or you can rest your Bible on it while you're praying. And as he was carrying it out, I sort of just playfully in my own mind was about to say, well, pray well. And just before I said the words out loud, having this message in mind, I immediately realized, of course, the message is not pray well, but pray often. Pray often. We as Christians have God as our Heavenly Father. And we, His children, are called to prayer. Faithful, earnest, constant prayer. Prayer for all. Prayer for those in authorities. And this prayer that we are called to is grounded in God's desire to save the world, not just us. And the mission of that prayer that we are called to is that God will act in the world, bringing salvation and knowledge of the truth in Jesus. That those who are dead in sin will turn to Jesus and be saved. That those who are blind to God's truth will see. That those who are closed off to His love will be softened and come to know the one true God and the one mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ. 